Oh man, if, yeah, wow. I, I'm not going to get in the middle of that, so that's between you and your family. But Christmas is around the corner, but this is going to lead us up till that. Um, so we're, we're going to be talking about, as it says there, it's going to be a study through the book of Colossians. So the Apostle Paul is the author of Colossians, and he took several missionary journeys. As a matter of fact, he took three missionary journeys, and then a bonus one that wasn't really his, he didn't really get to direct it. Um, so the first missionary journey was kind of a smaller circle around kind of where he was from, from Tarsus and Antioch and around there. And then they kind of got concentrically larger circles. His next missionary journey was what is kind of that purple line. And it went up into modern day Greece, which is called Macedonia. And it came back through, um, it was referred to as Asia, Western Turkey there. It was referred to as Asia. And that's kind of an important point as we continue on in the message. And then his third missionary journey followed a kind of a similar path. It's the darker red line that went around a little bit further out into Macedonia. And, uh, and so Paul went on these three missionary journeys. And um, at the end of his third missionary journey, he got back. And you can see that he returned the, the dark red line. You can see it comes down where it points towards Judea. And he came back to Jerusalem. So at the end of Paul's third missionary journey, he came back and returns to Jerusalem, and he's spending time there, and he goes to the temple. This is the same temple that we talked about last Sunday when we talked about Herod's temple. He went to the temple. This wasn't like a tabernacle this, or, or like some sort of uh, anything else like that. This was the temple, and he goes to the temple, and while he was in the temple, a group of people came along. And this is what it says in the book of Acts. This is kind of giving us context. It's very important that we understand, we get a basis of what's happening here as Paul writes this letter. So here's what happens in the book of Acts chapter 21, uh, verse 27. It says, Some Jews from the province of Asia saw Paul in the temple, and they roused a mob against him. They grabbed him, yelling, Men of Israel, help us! This man, this is the man who preaches against our people everywhere and tells everybody to disobey the Jewish laws. He speaks against the temple and even defiles this holy place by bringing in Gentiles. So this mob gets worked up by this group of people and they start this, this huge kind of uproar in the city and Paul is arrested. And it's, a, it's an interesting thing here because, like I said, this is important that we get this vital contextualization of what's happening for our series this next several weeks. Notice, make note here in this verse where it says this group of people were from that kind of instigated this, this mob. It says that Jews from the province of Asia. Now, modern day Asia was Western Turkey. This was an area where Paul had just been on his last two missionary journeys. He had passed through this area. He had been with the church in Ephesus. He had been through, uh, been, been with these churches and, and been preaching. And, um, and he, when he had taken the gospel there, there was a conflict that happened with this certain group of people. They were called Judaizers. And what they would do is they would follow Paul along and they would find these new converts, these new Christians and say, listen, what Paul is saying, sure, you can accept that, but you still have to follow all the Jewish laws. You have to eat all our special meals. You have to observe all our special observances. You have to get circumcised, which was a, a, a big deal for a lot of guys. And so this was, they were following Paul around and adding on all these rules. The Judaizers would add over 400 rules to this Jesus that Paul preached. And so there was this conflict going on between Paul and the Judaizers, and it, it, it got to the point that they would uh, do 
things to him. They would, they would try to have him stoned. They would try to have him beaten with rods. He was, he was under conflict. The church was under conflict. And so he finishes this missionary journey and returns to Jerusalem. And it appears that a group of people from Asia, as it were, from Turkey, followed him to Jerusalem just to see him arrested just to see this thing shut down. And of course, this probably isn't too foreign to Paul because he himself was someone who hunted down Christians. He himself was someone that was seeking out believers to have executed and to have uh, to, 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 to threaten so that they would give up their faith. And so this group of people follows Paul into Jerusalem, into the temple, and there they, they grow this mob and they have him arrested. And so... This is a big deal because in the first century, um, religious law, it's kind of interesting, religious law and civil law were very much intertwined. You didn't really separate the two. Um, if you spoke something that was a heresy or if you spoke something that was blasphemy, you could be held legally liable for what you say, even to the point of execution. This is ultimately really what led to Jesus' death. Over his head, they hung a sign that said, King of the Jews. It was because they were able to take his, his, what they said was obviously his claim to be the son of God. And then they turned it political and said, he's also trying to become the king of the Jews. He's trying to take Herod's throne. He's trying to step into a political role. And so they turned this whole religious thing into something they could actually get the, the, the death penalty for. They turned this into something that they could actually get capital punishment for. And that's what they were attempting with Paul. So they arrested Paul. And over the next several chapters of Acts, if you keep reading, Paul goes to lots of different trials. He stands before several groups of people. The same groups of people that Peter himself would have stood before. The same, the same groups of people that Jesus would have stood before. And so... Paul is, Paul is standing before these groups of people, and through this process, he actually does something interesting. He says, by the way, I'm a Roman citizen. You see, Paul kind of, Paul was, was, was a Jew by, by lineage, but also he was born within, uh, within the Roman Empire, and he had actual Roman citizenship. And so he said, I'm not going to be uh, taken to trial by you guys. I appeal to Caesar. And so they end up taking Paul and they put him on a ship and they sail him off to Rome. And there's a series of events that happened there. It wasn't, uh, you know, it was in a four-hour tour or whatever, four-hour cruise. There was a, a crash on an island and there was all kinds of things that happened along the way. But he eventually gets to Rome. And, uh, and there when he gets to Rome, Caesar doesn't just usher him right in and say, let's hear your case. It's like waiting for a Supreme Court case in some of those situations. It's a long process. And so he actually sits in Rome for a long time. He's under house arrest in Rome. And uh, while he's there, um, he gets lots of visitors. He had already written the book of Romans at the time. So there was a church in Rome. There was people visiting him. There's people from other areas that could come and see him. And so he had lots of visitors. But while he was waiting there, around the year 60 AD, there was a couple of very unique visitors that came and saw him. They came to his door, and we don't know if it was they came at the same time together or at separate times, but there were two, two men specifically that, that are of interest. One of the men went by the name of Onesimus. And Onesimus um, was, or, and then the other man was the went by the name of Epaphras. And so um, the, both these men just so happened to be from the same community, and that community was the city of Colossae. And so these two men came, and Onesimus, as I mentioned just before, he actually was a runaway slave. He, he had a slave owner in, in, uh, 
in Colossae, and he, and he ran away, and he made it all the way to Rome, where he came into contact with Paul, and Paul led him to Christ, and his life changed. And this actually led to the writing of the book of Philemon. A lot of scholars believe that the book of Philemon and the book of Colossians were actually sent together, two separate letters that were sent to the city of Colossae at the same time. But uh, so, so he has this encounter with Onesimus, but then this other person, Epaphras, had a different story. You see, Paul was going around evangelizing, sharing the good news. He went on this missionary journey, but his path never actually led him through Colossae. But on this journey, and as he was going around, and as the other disciples were sharing, and the, 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 they, there was this spreading of the gospel, it was spreading so quickly that churches were springing up everywhere that they didn't even plant. There were churches popping up that were happening so quickly that Paul and Barnabas and Silas um, didn't even plant them themselves. But rather, a believer heard the good news, went back home and started a church. And so, Colossia, uh, this, 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 this city of Colossae had this, this man by the name of Epaphras who actually started a church there. He heard the good news, he went home and he shared it, and, and this church was planted, and, um, and it began to grow. And, and it, seems, it, it seems apparent as you read through this letter and as you read through... Um, uh, the uh, Philemon, it seems that uh, Epaphras was actually a Gentile believer. And so he took what Jesus had done in his own life, he went to his home, he shared the good news, and a church sprung up, and it was doing really well. But at some point, Epaphras went and visited Paul in Rome. Paul says, Epaphras is here with me. And so uh, this, this, this unique situation is happening, and here's what's going on in Colossae. See, Colossae was a unique city. It sat in modern-day Turkey. Here we have our picture. We've got, um, you can actually see where a lot of the other letters that Paul wrote, where they went. So you've got Rome, where for Romans, you've got Thessalonica for First and Second Thessalonians, Philippians, Corinthians, First and Second Corinthians, Ephesians, Colossians. So here, Colossae sits in, in, in this area of modern day Turkey, which would be considered at their time Asia. And, uh, and so it, it's sitting here, and, and, and it's an interesting location because it, it got its name, most likely, scholars believe, from its main industry, which was this purple wool cloth that, the, that was called, Col- I'm going to mess up the pronunciation, Colossinius. Colossinus. So this, this purple cloth was made there, and it was really um, beautiful, and to, to, dye, to, to dye wools and to dye um, clothes was very expensive, and it required a lot of technology, and so um, it was this main industry that kind of supported the city, and it sat right on a trade route that went above north there called, you may have heard of this, called the Silk Road. And the Silk Road would, would bring goods and things all the way into the Roman Empire, but it traveled all the way into China. And this, this was a, a trade route. And so they actually were able to trade their goods and things through there. Um, there's several historians from the first century and even before that write about uh, the, the wealth of, Coloss- of Colossae and how, it, how it, it was thriving. And so the city sat on that location and they would export their wool. And, uh, and, and so um, if you were to try to go and see Colossae right now, you wouldn't see very much. Um, like if you were to go see uh, Ephesus... I know my mom and dad got to go see Ephesus several years ago, and it's incredible, the preserved ruins. You can see, you can see amphitheaters and buildings and temples, and it's amazing. If you go to Colossae and try to see Colossae, this is what you'll actually see right here. Not that city in the background, that's something else. Do you see this little mound right here in the foreground, right through that, on the other side of that first little bunch of trees? That's Colossae. Because in a, between the year uh, 60 and 62, there was a massive earthquake that destroyed Colossae. 
A massive earthquake destroyed it, and unlike some of the other cities around it that they rebuilt, they just left it in ruins. And to this day, it hasn't even fully been excavated. They haven't even really started. Archaeologists haven't come in and started to even excavate the city. So it's just a pile of ruins at this time. So, so this earthquake is something interesting. Let's take that. Everybody take the earthquake here, and let's put it in our back pocket. That's going to be an interesting fact for later. All right? So we've got this earthquake that occurs. And, and so Colossae is destroyed in that year. But before that, just a, literally a year or two before that, Paul writes this letter to them. Before the city is destroyed, Paul writes this letter to them. And so um, he's writing to this church and it's doing well. It's thriving. It seems that the people are doing well. And so um, Paul writes this letter. And here's where we're going to start in cha- uh, chapter 1, verses 2 through 5. It says this. Paul says, we are writing to God's holy people in the city of Colossae who are faithful brothers and sisters in Christ. May God, our Father, give you grace and peace. We always pray for you and we give thanks to God, the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, for we have heard of your faith in Christ Jesus and and of your love for all of God's people, which come from your confident hope of what God has reserved for you in heaven. You have had this expectation ever since you first heard the truth of the good news. And so, Paul here says, I'm hearing great things. He says, I'm hearing that the believers are being faithful and that they have a love for one another. And I think that's something we see in our church. There's faithfulness. I see faithfulness. I see a genuine love and affection for one another. You guys are always hugging each other. And, and, and just, it's, it's great. It's mushy. It's great. And, and, and there's good things that are happening. But Paul says, there's things that are either going on that I'm noticing or he sees on the horizon. That he wants them to be aware of. And he wants them to be prepared for. And he wants to paint a picture of who Jesus is. So that they have a perfect understanding for when this occurs. When I was a little guy. I was probably only 8 or 9 at the time. um, My mom noticed me watching TV like this. And she'd be like, why are you watching TV like that? It's just easier. I just like watching TV like this. And... uh, so one day we were driving down the highway. She said, Brent, I want you to tell me when you can read what that sign says that's coming up. I said, there's a sign coming up? Yeah, okay. And, uh, and so I'm, I'm, I'm like ready to read the sign. And I realized she thinks I need glasses. And I was mortified because nerds wear glasses. <laughs> no offense, nerds. I wear glasses now. But I was like, I've got to figure the sign out or else I'm going to be wearing glasses. And so I'm like forcing my eyes, you know, and then shoom, it goes by, uh, 35. No, that, 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 that actually said Eugene, this exit or whatever, you know, like <laughs> I needed glasses. And so we went to the optometrist and that's a stressful event, right? The optometrist first or second, first or second. And you're like, if I mess this up, I'm going to have messed up vision forever. I don't know what's going to go on, but, uh, they gave me my first pair of glasses and I put them on and it was like, how have I been missing this? You see everything so clearly. There's such, it's so sharp and, 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 and it's, it's incredible. I was a nerd, but it was incredible. And, and, and these glasses suddenly tell you, you see all this, everything comes into focus. And, and in the same way, Paul's goal in this letter, as well as the, the goal that we're going to have as we walk through this letter, is that we would see Jesus more clearly than we ever have before. 
That we would, we would, that Paul's goal is to, to express to this church the, the supremacy and the sufficiency of Jesus. That He is everything you need and nothing, nothing, you don't need anything more. You don't need to tack anything else on. Or you don't need to add Jesus to something to make it work. It's not some sort of ingredient, but rather Jesus is everything we need. And so Paul begins this, this letter to them and he opens up with two prayers. First he prays, he says, I'm praying for you that you would grow in the knowledge and in spiritual wisdom, that you would begin to understand these things. I'm praying for understanding that you would know God better and better. And then he prays, he says, I pray that you will have strength, be strengthened, that you'll have endurance, you'll have patience. Um, let me tell you that, that, uh, endurance and patience go hand in hand. And he prays for them in that. And so then Paul goes on after that to write, what is either an original poem or some scholars think it could have actually been a hymn that was sung by the early church because you don't really see Paul writing too much poetry. But here's an interesting poem that he writes. And, uh, and as we read this together, actually all of the pronouns that Paul uses are referring to Jesus. And so I'm going to do something. As I read this to you, I'm going to put Jesus' name where the pronoun goes. Is that okay? Because that's who he's referring to. And here's what it says. It says, Christ is the visible image of the invisible God. Jesus existed before anything was created, and Jesus is supreme over all creation. For through Jesus, God created everything, in the heavenly realms and on the earth. Jesus made the things we can see, and the things we can't see, such as thrones, kingdoms, rulers, and authorities in the unseen world. Everything was created through Jesus, and for Jesus. Jesus existed before anything else, and he holds all creation together. So to be a Jesus follower for the church in Colossae, actually any, pretty much anywhere in the ancient church, was an incredibly dangerous undertaking. Um, Colossae was definitely no exception in that. Uh, so in, in, in the prevalent philosophy and religion of the area was paganism and stoicism. And so they lived in a Hellenistic culture. And Hellenistic culture brought on the Greek gods and the Roman gods. So they worshipped the Greek gods. And then later the Roman gods came in and they started to integrate those in. And, and every city and every town and every village had a group of gods or goddesses that they worshipped. Some more than others. Some would be kind of the god or goddess of that community. And uh, it's interesting, I was doing some study through the scholar N.T. Wright, and he talks about how the worship of these um, gods were how they actually believed they kept the city safe. So the gods were these local inhabitants as much as the actual local human inhabitants were there. Um, they, were, they were the people you could see and the creatures you could see and the things you couldn't see. It was um, important, though, to keep the unseen ones placated. Because if you don't, bad things could happen. And so a lot of what they did, a lot of the way they lived was making sacrifices, doing all the things necessary to keep those unseen inhabitants, those gods, happy. And, and if something bad happened, if you, that means you weren't doing something right. It, it was important to keep them happy because when bad things happened, you knew you had upset and you hadn't appeased the gods. Earthquakes, famines, floods, d- disease, all these things could be pointed then. We've done something to upset the gods. We haven't been worshiping the gods properly. We haven't been paying them their due. We haven't been keeping their festivals. And so they'd have to hunt out what we're doing wrong and, and do it. And you can see where I, why I said this earthquake that happened just within a year or two of when Paul wrote this letter would have been important. There was very little personal life back in that day. People saw what you did if you were at the temple worshiping the gods, if you were at the festival to honor the gods. And if you suddenly weren't there, they'd say, why isn't 
Billy Bob. I don't know if that's a common name back then, but uh, here. And they, well, he, they're a new follower of Jesus, this new thing that's coming around. And then when something bad would happen, sickness would come, a natural disaster would occur. Naturally, the finger would be pointed to who has not been at the festival, who has angered the gods. And so um, Tertullian was uh, a, a second century theologian. He lived about 150 years after Paul wrote this letter. And he wrote this. He said that any time a bad thing happens in town, the shout goes up, Christians to the lance. Anytime something bad happens, it must be their fault. And so Paul was writing to this church that was going to come under persecution, that anytime something happened, they were going to be identified as the problem. And Paul knew the new believers would be tempted then to do a few things. First of all, they'd be tempted to maybe just blend Jesus into their life. Maybe they heard the good news, they heard the story of Jesus and they received it, but they're like, it would be a whole lot easier if I still just add Jesus in to what I'm already doing. If I still go to the festivals, if I still do everything so people think that I'm appeasing the gods, but I just add Jesus into this, and he's warning them that, that, that uh, to, to, it's not worth it, it's not what we're supposed to do, at the risk of maybe being ostracized by your friends and family, at the risk of maybe having your business be boycotted because of your faith. Say, you know what, I'm just going to try to keep the heat off. And so he's warning them to not just add a little bit of Jesus to their life. And then he also is warning them that they may be tempted to take Jesus and just add things to Jesus. In uh, the book of, uh, I'm sorry, in the book of Acts, we had talked about these, these people from Asia Minor that came and followed Paul, the, the, the Judaizers. And, and it's the same group of people came in and followed Paul to, Col- or followed the new believers to Colossae, and they started trying to add things to Jesus. You've heard the good news of Jesus, that's great, but did you know you also have to be practicing a practicing Jew? And so he saw that people are going to be tempted not only to maybe just say, I'll take my life and just add some Jesus, or they'll say, I'll take Jesus, and there must be some other secret ingredient I need to add. And so, and so they were being fed this lie that they don't have the whole truth, and there's something you're missing. And it's interesting because... These things weren't unique to the first century church, were they? If you think about um, where we stand, how many people just try to add Jesus to their life, what they already have going? I'll just sprinkle on Jesus, and that'll, that'll just, everything will be fixed up. If I just add some Jesus to my agenda, if I, if I carve out a little time and add Jesus like he's an ingredient in, in some sort of thing you're making, but rather than Jesus being the whole, in the same way, it's so interesting because even recently, if you talk in the scope of history, there's been fraudulent movements that have started to say, you don't have the whole truth. And I don't mean to speak ill of these groups, but we need to be warned about these groups. The Jehovah's Witnesses, for example. They teach that Jesus is not himself God, but was created by God. They teach that Jesus himself was not God, but he was created by God. And this dethrones who Christ is. It says Jesus has come from being the creator to being one of the created. Rather than being the creator, he is a created thing. Even though they say, well, he was created before the rest of creation, it still makes him a created being. Jesus, it, it takes away his, his incarnate nature as, as the Son of God. And, uh, and it dethrones him. And, and we need to be careful about these things. In the same way the Mormons or the Latter-day Saints say that Jesus is good. But did you know that you're actually missing something else you're supposed to add on? Did you know that there's a whole other testament that's out there? 
Did you know that there's, 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 there's a whole nother gospel message that we can add on that you're missing? Your pastor doesn't want you to know about it. There's, there's this extra stuff that's in there. Jesus is all that we need. You see, the, the thing is, this is the risk because the, the reason these religions, these new movements aggressively seek out, especially baby Christians, is because there's already, they know there's already a baseline. They know that we know Jesus, that we put our faith in Jesus, but they want to sell you something that you're missing. And this is what the agnostics were doing in, 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 in Colossae. This is what these other groups were doing. They're coming in saying, oh, you know what? You're close, but you need to just, Jesus isn't quite that much. Or you're close, but you need to add this on to Jesus. And Paul wrote this letter with the express purpose of saying, there is no one like our God. He is unrivaled. There is, he is in and of himself all that there is. He is the son of the most high God. He is the king of kings and Lord of lords. There was no one before him. There will never be anyone after him. He is God himself. Jesus is everything. He's not one of the ways to God. He's not just a moral teacher. He's not just one of the gods. He's not just a piece of the puzzle. He's saying Jesus is the Alpha and the Omega. In the Greek, in the Greek, Alpha is the first letter in the alphabet. Omega is the last letter in the alphabet. He is the beginning and the end, and he's everything in between. He's who was there at the beginning of your life, and he is who will be there one day when you step into eternity at the end of it. He will be with you. Paul is saying that this is, this is Jesus. He, 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 is, he has existed before anything else, and he holds all of creation together. Did you catch that in, in that section we just read? When we read this, this poem that, that Paul wrote, he says, He holds all creation together. He holds it all together. What keeps the planets spinning in their orbit? What keeps the moon on its continuing path faithfully around our earth? You can say it's the laws of thermodynamics. It's the attraction of masses. It's the laws of science. Absolutely, you are right. That's right. But what authority determined those laws? If you go out on the street... And drive your car, there are laws on how that traffic is supposed to move. The, the speed you're supposed to go, the direction you're supposed to go, the things you're supposed to do in relation to that. Yes, there are laws, but there is an authority that set up those laws and there's an authority that enforces those laws. In the same way, when we look at creation, we look at how these amazing acts of science occur. It's Jesus that holds creation together. It's by his very will that we exist in this moment. This is what Paul's talking about. He's saying, this is how big our God is. This is how huge He is. He is holding creation together. He is the one that created these laws that even hold our world in its place. And the two biggest existential questions in the world everyone wrestles with, Paul answers in this section. How many have ever asked yourself or have you heard the question, who am I and why am I here? What's the meaning of my life? You see, our, your value and your existence matter because, as Paul says, you were created by Jesus and you were created for Jesus. Dostoevsky, thank, thank you, Brent, you got it out. Dostoevsky said, the mystery of human existence lies not in just staying alive, but in finding something to live for. He wasn't just quoting the Bee Gees there. He says, the purpose of our, our existence isn't just in keeping our heart beating, keeping in shape, staying alive, but actually finding what we're actually living for. And this is the struggle so many have been in. You're not here, let me tell you this, just for the purpose of your own existence. It would be so hollow if it was. 
You were created with purpose. You have made, you, maybe you've been told that you were an accident, that you were a mistake, that you were unwanted. Let me tell you that you were no mistake. You were created by Jesus. You were created by Jesus. And you were created for Jesus. See, your, your skill set may be in education, it may be in sculpting, it may be in accounting, you may have a skill set in medicine, but no matter what your skill set may be, it is ultimately to reflect glory back to Him. That is why we are here. We are not here to build things. We're not here to just uh, do, do good things. Yes, those are good in and of themselves, but ultimately they are there to glorify God. That is why we're created. The, the, uh, the theoretical physicist uh, Stephen Hawking, I appreciate his easier name, said in his book, um, he wrote a book called A Brief History of Time in 1988, he said, uh, the eventual goal of science is to provide a single theory that describes the whole universe. He says the, the real goal of science is to come up with this single theory that can explain it all, explain the whole universe, and can I introduce you to that theory? It's Jesus. It's Jesus. Here's where we're going to conclude today, continuing on in verse 19. Paul says, For God in all his fullness was pleased to live in Christ, and through him God reconciled everything to himself. He made peace with everything in heaven and on earth by means of Christ's blood on the cross. This includes you who were once far away from God. You were his enemies, separated from him by your evil thoughts and actions. And yet now he has reconciled you to himself through the death of Christ in his physical body. And as a result, he has brought you into his own presence. And you are holy and blameless as you stand before him without a single fault. But you must continue to believe this truth and stand firmly in it. Don't drift away from the assurance you received when you heard the good news. See, God made peace with us through the uh, peace with all of creation through Jesus' blood. Maybe, maybe this is your story this morning, band. If you'll come, we're going to conclude here. Maybe you're far away from God. Maybe you're far away from God. It says, it says here that God came to make peace with his creation, to make peace with us while we were far away. And maybe that's your story. And it's not that we can be right with God through anything we can do. Dead bodies can't raise themselves. We were dead in our transgressions. We've, we've been dead. But, but, but J.I. Packer says this. He says, God's grace is moving heaven and earth to save sinners who can't lift a finger to save themselves. We can't do a thing to save ourselves, but God moved heaven and earth so that we could be saved. And the only way this is done is through repentance. Sometimes we cheapen what salvation is all about, and I don't want to do that this morning. I've been convicted about that this week. Sometimes we take that verse, behold, I stand at the door and knock, and God will just, you know, we open the door and it's like our choice. Well, we'll let you in. But, but yes, there's a decision that we get to make, but really it comes down to repentance, it's not that it's just the goodness of our heart that Jesus is really lonely out there and we decide to let him in, but rather we, 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 we are brought to a point of decision. Am I repentant for the sin that I've, I've done? Am I broken in my, in my soul for the, the, the things that I've done that have separated me from God? In Psalm 51, 17, it says, The sacrifice you desire, when it says you, it's talking about God. God, the, desire, the, the sacrifice you desire is a broken spirit. You will not reject a broken and repentant heart, O God. So it comes down to a story of repentance. 
This God who created all of this, who is more than we could ever ask or imagine or think, that doesn't need anything else to support him or lift him up or doesn't depend on any other thing for his existence, this God loves you. But it's not that we get to receive him on our terms. We come to him on his terms. And this morning I want to give you that opportunity to respond to his goodness and his grace because he does love you so much. So this morning, let's bow our heads and close our eyes. And this morning, if you are in that place and you need to give your life to Jesus, I want to give you that opportunity. But here's what we're going to do. We as a church are going to respond at the altar. So if our prayer team, our elders, our prayer team would cross the front of this platform... And churches, they do. Will we stand together, please? Let's stand across this room. And I want us to respond as a church. I have in our junk drawer at the house a lint roller. And uh, it hadn't been used for a long time, but it sat in that junk drawer. And other things have been kind of sticking to it. Legos and all kinds of stuff beyond just the lint that it rolls off of clothes. It's just built up a huge gunk and you have to peel off that layer. And, you know, Jesus is kind of a lightning rod. Things come and they stick to Jesus. There's a reason for 2,000 years Jesus is still kind of the, the hottest topic when people have really strong reactions one way or the other. And when we have Jesus, sometimes we attach other things like the Judaizers wanted to do, the other requirements, other views. And we, sometimes we need to get that clear vision again and say, for who you are, Jesus... I need to reestablish you in my life to, to wipe it clean. All this other stuff I've been sticking on you and attaching to you to see you as you truly are. And I want us this morning to respond as a church community and family to come forward and to seek the face of Jesus. And if you this morning need to give your life to Christ, here's what I want you to do. I want you to speak to one of these that are up here and say, I need to give my life to Jesus. Because in the book of Romans chapter 10, it says that we need to confess with our mouth that Jesus is Lord. And these people are not going to condemn you because we all ourselves have prayed this prayer. Said, Jesus, I need your forgiveness. I repent for my sins. And this morning we need to be brought to a place of repentance. So if that's you, I want you to find someone this morning and come forward and pray. But for the rest of this church, let's take a few moments before we go. Let's not rush into our day. Let's come to the altars and spend time with Jesus this morning. Let's come. If there's anybody that needs prayer for anything, if you need prayer for healing, come and find one of these elders, one of these prayer team members. They'd like to pray with you. If there's anything else going on in your life, they'd like to lift you up. Let's come forward and spend time with Jesus this morning. Thank you, Jesus.
this morning we're going to allow those that are still up here praying to continue praying Lord I pray for your church we not be caught by the deceit of this world that Jesus isn't enough or that somehow we can just add a little Jesus to our life and that's all we need but Lord you would take precedence in everything Lord that you would be our all that you'd go before us and that our rising up in the morning and when we lay down at night you would be the first thing on our minds Give us a profound love for one another. Let us encourage one another. Let us spur one another on. All the way to the return of Jesus. We thank you, Father, in your name. Amen. Amen. God bless you, New Life Church. Have a wonderful, wonderful week.